I'm excited about this morning. Uh, this morning comes about as, as kind of an, a, a digression of sorts from our New Testament survey, but I was easily able to plug it into our study uh, as we've been going through Hebrews. And so I've got some Hebrews this morning as we talk for a little bit about prayer. This uh, was uh, the inspiration for this lesson was in part Dr. Bob coming to me in the middle of the week and asking me some questions about how my prayer life works and what I do. And so I was talking to him about it. And I thought, you know, it's it, I don't often just get up and share personal things like that, but it's it might be an appropriate thing to do. And so I decided this week that that's what we would teach on using Hebrews as a chance to do it. I don't know how you grew up. <clears throat> But I was blessed to grow up in a family where we were taught as children to pray. And it uh, uh, was an important part of our lives. We were taught to pray before meals, and we prayed as a family before meals. And then we were taught to say our prayers at night before we went to sleep. And I don't know again about you, but the prayer that I was taught as a child was the, Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And then we were taught to plug in modules after that. So it'd be like, uh, God bless mom and dad and Catherine. And then at some point, Holly came along, but that didn't really register. And then, no, it, it did. But I think I was older. I was, I was eight when Holly was born, so I was past that that time of prayer, because as you grow up, you change the way you pray. You learn not just to pray in rote, but you learn to pray more specifically. And prayer has always been an interesting concept for me. And it's an interesting concept because sometimes, you know, prayer is not supposed to be a monologue. Prayer is a dialogue. Monologue, one direction. Prayer is not simply us talking to God, but prayer is a dialogue between us and God. Those words also jumped out at me this week when our judge, who is a, a very, um, he is a focused individual and, and he knows where he's going and he knows how to get there and he doesn't, he doesn't wonder what his job is. He's the judge. And he doesn't let us lawyers start thinking we're the judge. Because we're not the judge, and he knows that. And there was one point where one of the lawyers in our case at the sidebar was challenging our judge on something. As the judge was explaining uh, uh, his ruling, and, and the lawyer said, well, but judge. And the judge said, time out. This is a monologue not a dialogue. You listen to me, I'm talking. And and which the judge rightfully said. I mean, it was monologue time. And and so you put that together in my brain and I came up with this slide because prayer is not a monologue. Prayer is a dialogue. The problem is is that we're verbal people who talk out loud and listen to sound waves as they bounce off our eardrum and our brain interprets it into words. And so it's often that, that you, you, if we say prayer is a, a dialogue, a lot of people say, well, I don't exactly hear God talking. 
it seems more a monologue. And I was at a dinner in 1988, I believe it was. Uh, it was my first chance to go to Labrie, Switzerland. And I was at a dinner and the dinner table conversation there in this beautiful Swiss chalet was prayer. And one individual at the table said, I feel like when I pray, all I'm doing are saying words that go up to the ceiling and then bounce back down. I don't feel like there's a God. I don't sense a God responding to my prayers. I don't sense any kind of dialogue. And and I'm listening as we discuss this at the table, and I'm thinking, what do I have to add to encourage this brother? Now, I know all of the pro forma answers. I know the affirmation of faith, but the odds are he knows them too. And I decided one of those those rare times in my life that I really didn't have much to add to his conversation to encourage him. And I would listen to what everyone else had to say. And it was fascinating to listen to those stories. I'm 55 years old. And I'm here to tell you that I can go back in my life and I can find some very clear prayers that have been very clearly answered. There's not much doubt in my mind. I mean specific prayers that have had specific answers. And maybe we can write those off to chance. But if so, I should have been buying lottery tickets that day. Because the chances are slimmer than they are winning the lottery. And I've had those direct answers to prayer that have just uh, uh, not only inspired faith on my part, but but have been been so uh, uh, immensely confirming in ways that have had repercussions throughout my life. But I can also tell you that there have been many prayers I've prayed where the answer is just seemed not to be there at all. Or if the answer's there, the answer is no. Or the answer may be not right now. But there are some where the answer is just the exact opposite of what I want or what I've prayed for. And I've tried to figure that out in my life and I've tried to understand it. And it's been something that that has been, I've been gnawing on this bone for 50 years. And so I want to share with you some of my gnawing on the bone But I want to do it especially with a view towards the book of Hebrews and what Hebrews has to say about it. Now, the entire Bible is loaded with prayer. If I just focus on the the New Testament, that alone, you can read about prayer. Paul told the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. And to me, that's kind of this constant dialogue we're to be having with the Lord during our day. Everything we we dialogue with God on. So we pray without ceasing. Paul told the Philippian church, don't be worried in anything. But instead of worry, in everything by prayer. 
and requesting God, giving thanks at the same time you request it. Let your request be made known to God, Paul says, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts, will guard your minds in Jesus Christ. And so I know about those. I know James says, when you pray, pray with faith, not doubt. I know Jesus taught his apostles, don't pray for show. Prayer is not about showing off in front of other people. We're not, we're not, this is not, gee, I want to show you what my prayer life is like because of what it means to me, our prayer is a very private thing between us and the Lord. It's not about show. This also, I might add, as Jesus teaches his apostles to pray, his disciples, excuse me, to pray, Jesus says, we're not after content. We're after, uh, I mean, we're after volume. No, I've said it exactly opposite. We're not after volume, we are after content. It's not say a bunch of things to the Lord. It's what you say, not how much you say. Which makes sense. As Pastor David said this morning, God is omni-omni. He's all everything. He's omniscient. He already knows our requests. So I know those New Testament passages. I know what Jesus had to say. Jesus said his people will be called a house of prayer. That's what we're to be called. And you can watch the life of Jesus and Jesus modeled prayer. He'd wake up early in the morning, the gospels say, and go off by himself to pray. Jesus teaches us to pray with humility. He contrasted the the self-righteous Pharisee who goes out and beats his chest and says, you know, Lord, here I am. And and prays in the showy way. Contrast that with the, the poor sinner who contritely says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so we're to pray with humility. Now, I'm always touched at the John 17, 20 passage where Jesus in his high priestly prayer before his crucifixion, Jesus prays not only for his followers, the apostles, disciples of the day, but prays for those who through their testimony would come to faith. That's us. Jesus prays for us. Jesus taught us we're to be praying for our enemies. If you go into Acts and you go into the epistles, you'll see Paul asking for the prayers of the churches. Pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. And you'll also see Paul repeatedly saying he's praying for the churches. You'll see Paul writing to the Roman church and saying there are times where we pray where we don't even know how we ought to be praying. Where the issues are so great or the the stress is so severe, the turmoil, the problems. And he says, God's spirit intervenes for us and helps us to pray. 
Sometimes with groanings too deep for words. Because prayer is not simply us, it's God's Spirit working with us as well. The apostles set up deacons to help serve the church because the apostles needed to devote themselves to prayer and to teaching. And so prayer was very important. Prayer, however, was never a monologue. It was not just humans talking to God. Prayer is a dialogue. It's communication going both ways. And so we see that in Scripture, and I want us to see that especially in the book of Hebrews, which is where we're going to start this morning. Because the book of Hebrews is real clear. God talks. And we have a role as listeners, not simply talkers. We have a role as listeners. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 initially here. Hebrews chapter 1 begins saying this very thing. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. God spoke. God spoke to our fathers. How did he do it? By the prophets. See, Scripture itself is the word of the prophets. It is God speaking through the pen and the voice of his prophets. They were the the speaker through which the message of God was broadcast. And when we listen to the speaker, we're hearing the source material. And then look at this. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. So in the life of Jesus, and in the death of Jesus, and in the resurrection of Jesus, in all things Jesus, we hear the voice of God. One reason I want to spend time in the Gospels studying the life of Jesus is because I have the assurance that in the life of Jesus, God is speaking. When Jesus teaches us how to pray, God is teaching us how to pray. When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, God is telling us to love our enemies. When Jesus is telling us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to it that we need, God is speaking to us. To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and assuring us that everything we need will be supplied. When Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow because God is in control. Consider the lilies of the field. They don't work. They don't sew clothes. And yet you'll find nothing prettier. Nothing is dressed as one of those. In like manner, your father will take care of your needs. When Jesus says that God knows how many hairs are on our head, Bob, not that big a deal for some of you, but for the rest of us, it's a huge deal. That is not just Jesus talking. That is God. God has spoken to us through His Son. When Jesus says, 
For God so loved this world that he would give his only begotten son, that whoever puts their faith in him wouldn't perish, but would have life everlasting. God is speaking through his son. So I want to read the Old Testament. I want to read what God said through the prophets. But I want to see the Son. And I want to hear from Him. Because that's God speaking. Look at what else He says. Verse 5. To which of the angels did God ever say, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. That's a reference to the fact that God is saying that. God said that. Where did God say it? Psalm 2, verse 7. The idea that Scripture is just a collection of humans' musings and thoughts and reflections on God is not what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's making it very clear. Psalm 2, verse 7. Today you are my son. Today I have begotten you. He says, that's God speaking. God's responsible for that. That's the voice of God. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. That's a passage out of 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verse 14. But it's God speaking. When he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, it's still the he in these sentences all linked back in the Greek to God. God is speaking. God says, let all the angels worship him. Deuteronomy 32, 43. It's God who says, Psalm 104, 4, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, it's God who says, Your throne is forever and ever. Psalm 45, 6 and 7. The scepter of brightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness. You've hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. That's God speaking prophetically about Jesus. So over and over and over again, we see it in Scripture, but as the old, as the Hebrew preacher, writer, is quoting the Old Testament, he's saying this is God speaking. Look at Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 11. This is one. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Holy Spirit, because this is the Spirit of God, as opposed to your spirit or my spirit, or the spirit of whomever was writing. It is the Holy Spirit who said, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So that quotation there of Psalm 95, and verses 7 through 11 are quoted there in Hebrews 3. That quotation is attributed not to David, the psalmster, or the the psalmist, That is attributed to the Holy Spirit of God. That's the source. So this is a dialogue. This is a chance for us to hear God. And so we spend time in Scripture. 
And scripture is a part of our prayer life and a part of our devotional life because that is that dialogue. That is that communication. That's two-way street. Now, I want to tell you that we've got something to be careful with here. Hebrews tells us in a, a triple warning. You know, if there's something very important, um, Rebecca and Sarah are marvelous at teasing Becky because Becky had um, recently done something really marvelous. We were seated at a dinner table and Becky took our hands and said, come here, I want us to hold hands. And we're thinking we've already prayed because we do hold hands and pray over the table. So what's going on here? Is Becky about to lead us in another word of prayer? And she says, and she starts telling us something that's important. And Rebecca, I think, just started laughing and said, Mom, why are we holding hands? And Becky said, because I know you'll be paying attention. (laughs) And so now it's very standard for Rebecca when she has something to say to the family. Come here, let's hold hands. Because she wants us to pay attention. Well, I don't know about holding hands to pay attention. With due respect to my wife and daughter. I don't know about that, but I will tell you something. If someone tells me something three times, I figure it's pretty important to them. Especially if it's someone who's writing it down 2,000 years ago, before there were word processors, before you had pens that have ready ink as opposed to dipping them, before paper was so cheap, You could find scraps lying around. If someone bothers back when writing is a huge deal. When I, if I'm writing, would be figuring out how to reduce it down to the bare minimum. And someone repeats themselves three times. It's kind of like, okay, I got the message, I hope. I want to show you an Old Testament passage. That is repeated three times here by the writer of Hebrews. We've got it in chapter 3, verse 7, where I had already started out. Verse 7 through 11. As the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. As on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test, they saw my works For 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation. And said they always go astray in their heart. They haven't known my ways. As I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter into my rest. See the people of Israel. Who had had the miracles of God. The miracle of the exodus. The miracle of the Red Sea. All of the miracles that preceded the exodus. The miracles of manna. The miracles of water from the rock. They're afraid to go in to the promised land. And not just then, but throughout the wilderness experience. They are constantly whining and complaining. And telling God, you're not measuring up to what we expect from you. 
and they get faced with a crisis. And instead of seeing, as Pastor David said, the disappointment as a chance for God's appointment, instead of that, they see the disappointment. Well, God let us down. We knew it was coming. It was just a matter of time for the other foot to fall. Oh, we could still be back in Egypt eating leeks and onions by the Nile. You know, but now here we are following God, the measurable maker, who's just left us out here. And God says, when you're faced with crisis, when you're faced with problems, when you're faced with disappointment, when you're faced with things not going the way you want them, we have two tendencies. One, we can turn to God in prayer and seek the Lord Almighty to either redeem the circumstances or walk through them with us. Or we can harden our hearts. Oh, I knew that there wasn't a God. Or I knew if there was, he didn't care. See, this is the problem with God. He doesn't answer my prayers. Look, if God answered all of our prayers, do you realize how many people there'd be on earth? Because just about everybody has prayed for someone who's going to die. Lord, please don't let them die. Well, I got news for you. We're all going to die at some point. Barring the Lord's return and a rescue in the sky. A rapture. We're all going to die. Now, I'm not excited about dying. I've been praying that Becky doesn't get to go first. I'm fine with her dying after I'm gone. But I don't want her dying before me. But there's a normal course of events in this life, and part of it includes dying. And if we've got someone who's on death's bed and we pray to the Lord to spare their life and the Lord spares their life, praise the Lord. But if the Lord does not spare their life, we don't harden our hearts. God's miserable. He never answers my prayer. I knew there wasn't a God. And if there is, he's mean. No. There is a God who's waiting on the other side of the door of death. I mean, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says to the Christian believer, Oh, death, where is your sting? He doesn't say death's gone. He says, where's your sting? Because you can't hurt us. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Jesus Christ was resurrected, Lord. Lord over death. There is something beyond this life. So look at what the writer says. When you're faced with crisis, he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And look, it moves on later on in the same chapter. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall astray from or fall away from the living God. Exhort one another every day as long as it is today. And it's today. 
It's been today, every day since he wrote this. As long as it's today, don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is very deceitful. And don't be hardened by that. We've come to share in Christ. We hold our original confidence firm to the end. And it looks, says it again. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? It was all those who led, left Egypt, led by Moses. With whom was he provoked for 40 years? Wasn't it those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? To whom did he swear they would not enter his rest? To those who were disobedient. They were unable to enter because of the unbelief. Therefore, and he keeps going, and in the next chapter, he says, Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter the rest of Jesus. Those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. He appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterwards, through David, but I thought you told us last chapter it was the Holy Spirit saying it. Yes. The Holy Spirit, through David, said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So part of this dialogue is not just listening to God. It's not just spending time in Scripture. It's not just studying the life of Jesus. It's not just listening to the prophets. But part of God is being careful. And not hard, part of listening to God is not hardening our hearts, being receptive to what we hear. It means pay attention to God. Part of prayer, see this class is on prayer. Part of prayer is us paying attention to God. Prayer is not simply, Lord, here's what I need today. We can be guilty of turning it into a monologue if we are not spending time in His Word listening to Him speak to us. So we are to pay attention. Hebrews 4, verse 12 and 13. I mean, we use this passage often to speak of the Bible. And that's fine. But think of it within the framework of what we're saying here of this dialogue with God and God speaking to us through Scripture. The Word of God, what God has to say to us in Scripture, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any sword with two edges on it. It will pierce to the division of your soul of your spirit. It will pierce to the division of your joints. It will go down to the marrow of your bones. It will discern your thoughts. It will discern the intentions of your heart. If you read Scripture with not a hardened heart, but a softened one, if you read it receptive, if you read it, if you read the life of Jesus... It will discern your thoughts. It will discern your intentions of your heart. God will speak to 
you to the marrow of your bones. No creature is hidden from God's sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. My friend Tim is here this morning. I can recall Tim when he was on that faith walk trying to figure out what God had for him. He called me one day. I was getting out of a taxi in New York City. I took the call. Tim, I got three minutes before I get in this elevator. What's up? Tim says to me, man, I've been reading Matthew. I said, yeah. He says, I'm going to hell. I said, what? He says, yeah, I used to not be able to kill my enemies. Now I'm not even supposed to hate them. I'm going to hell. What do I do? I said, read John. (laughs) I'll get back to you. I got to get in this elevator. If you don't know Tim Wilson's faith walk, talk to Tim Wilson. I'm sorry you hate your name being said publicly. It's a tremendous faith walk. What God can do when you read his word, when you listen to him instead of with a hard heart, it's amazing. Because we are all naked and exposed before him. He knows our thoughts. And he exposes the intentions of our heart when we read and listen to him sensitively instead of with a hardened heart. And so part of this dialogue is us paying attention to what's being said. We pay attention. Um, it's also in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Uh, let, me, let me just, we've got a moment. Look at what the writer says in chapter 2. We must pay closer attention to what we've heard. Lest we drift away from it. Since the message declared by angels. See, God speaking through prophets. God speaking through angels. The Greek word angelos means messenger. God uses messengers for his word. Since the message declared by angels proves to be reliable, every transgression and disobedience receives a just retribution. Whoa! See, one of the key communications from the Lord is not only a discernment of who we are, but it's a revelation, a revealing of who he is. He is a holy and just God. He told Moses, take your shoes off. In the wilderness, on Mount Sinai, in front of a burning bramble bush. Take your feet off. I'm present here. This is holy ground. God is a holy judge. God is a a God. God is a just God. And we need to pay attention. Because the just and holy God must dwell in the midst of a just and holy people. It's just we're not there on our own accord. Because none of us are the just and holy people. And his word reveals that. His word reveals how far short we are. How inadequate we are. It's the prophet Isaiah who says, Our best deeds as human beings are filthy polluted garments to the Lord when you compare them to Him. 
It's the psalmist that, that Paul quotes in Romans who says, not only is nobody good in the sense of good enough for God, but nobody even does a good deed. Martin Luther said the best human deeds tainted with at least a little bit of selfishness, which makes it repugnant to a holy God. But what we can do is we can discern who we are and then we can pray to God. We can draw near to God in confidence, not because we're good enough, but because we know who makes us righteous in the eyes of God. We know Jesus. So Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 makes it real clear. This is right after the passage that the word of God is sharper. It will reveal who we are. It will reveal our thoughts. It will reveal our intentions. It will betray us as unholy. And yet, we have a great high priest. A great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus the Son of God. So we hold fast our confession. Jesus is Lord. We hold fast our confession because we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. We have one who's been tempted just like we. He just didn't sin. He knows who we are. He knows what we are. He's seen us firsthand, not just observed from the heavens. He's walked the walk with us. And so we can, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, receiving mercy, finding grace to help in times of need. We approach God in confident prayer, not because we are good enough to to merit His love and attention, not because our good deeds outweigh our bad, not because we earned or merited His favor. We approach Him in confidence, Because we know whom we've put our faith in and we approach through Jesus and his righteousness. So we draw near in confidence to God because we know that Jesus is acceptable to God. God not only spoke through Jesus, but Jesus is acceptable. The writer continues, Jesus, the high priest, our intermediary, Jesus did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. He didn't go out there and win the job. Jesus is not high priest because he decided one day, I want to be a high priest. He was appointed by God. By him who said to him, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. That's Psalm 2-7. He's the one who said, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, Psalm 110. See, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers. Jesus was praying. Jesus was, was offering up supplications, requests to God with loud cries, with tears to him who was able to save him from death. And Jesus was heard because of his reverence. So we don't come to God on our own merit. We come to God on the merit of Jesus. And God heard the prayers of Jesus when he was on earth. Do you think he won't hear the prayers of Jesus now? Do you think the prayers of Jesus are ineffectual? Now that Jesus reigns as God, with God, the the, the, the Trinity made whole? 
And so we've got that. This interceding for us is what Jesus lives for. Look at this passage out of Hebrews 7, 25 and 26. And it's an amazing passage. Let's start to get the run up. Verse 23. The former priests were many in numbers. Used to be tons of priests. They were prevented by death from continuing in office. You know, you're only a priest while you're alive. Once you're dead, kind of ran your course. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently. Because he continues forever. He was resurrected from the dead. He reigns with the Lord. So he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. I love that. He's able to save to the uttermost. Don't anybody ever think they've done too much to be saved by Jesus. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is still alive. He lives to intercede on our behalf. He lives to be our righteousness before God. So we come to God in prayer. We come to God through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And God hears these prayers. And because of that, we can pray with faith. And this is Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, the inhabitation of God, the throne of heaven, the very presence of a just Perfect God. We have confidence to enter by the blood of Jesus. We have confidence to enter by the blood of Jesus, which is a new and a living way. He lives today. That he opened for us through the curtain. See, in the old Hebrew temple, there was a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the other part of the temple. And the high priest only could enter the Holy of Holies. He could only do it one day out of the year on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement. And what he would do is sacrifice for himself as well as for the people of Israel so that he could enter in with a sacrifice being made for his sins. But Jesus has torn that curtain. The access to God is not open to one. Jesus, our high priest, by the sacrifice he gave of his own life, has opened the curtain for us and we all can approach Almighty God, the Holy One of Israel, through the sacrifice, the blood of Jesus. And so we enter with confidence we draw near to God with a true heart in the full assurance of faith. Our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Our bodies are washed with pure water. We hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. And that's what we're able to do. Now, what does that mean practically? 
Well, I want to talk to you about that for a minute. And this is where this lesson gets a little more personal. Um, I have, uh, uh, I didn't bring it up here. I meant to bring a lesson. Um, can I have a lesson? Thank you, Mark. I have a prayer list I keep. Actually, I've got three of them. I've got one I keep on my phone with prayer prompter. I've got one I keep uh, 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 at my home in a place, of uh, a private place where I pray. And I've got one that I keep on my computer because I seem to be on the road all the time. And my prayer list, I've st- I started years ago writing down my prayer list because I would tell people, yes, I'll pray for you. And many, many times I confess, I totally forget to do it. And there are some things that are so important in prayer that, that shame on me, shame on me. And so I realized years ago, if I'm going to have any shot at truly praying for the things that I need to be praying about, I'm going to have to write them down. I'm going to have to write them down. And so I have a prayer list. And mine's divided into categories. And this is what prompted this class. Bob was asking me about this the other day. I thought, okay, let's talk about it in class. So this is kind of uh, what my prayer list categories look like. Uh, If you look, you've got a sheet. And I want you to consider taking this sheet and consider writing it down and making a prayer list and committing to praying daily. Pray in the morning, pray in the evening, pray in both. But this is what I do. I'll frequently start with the Lord's Prayer. Not always. Sometimes I'll put it at the end. Sometimes I'll divide it up. I say the Lord's Prayer in Greek. If you want to do that, I'll help you get there. But it works just as good in English. God's multilingual. I've got a buddy who says it in Hebrew. Has translated it back into Hebrew. But we've got the Lord's Prayer. Now, the Lord's Prayer, we know. It's very close to a Hebrew Kaddush that, that, was, um, that, that, that was prayed at the time. And I've reproduced the Hebrew as well as the, the English in your lesson so that you can look at both. But there is a distinction. Because Jesus, not only in the Lord's Prayer, does what the Hebrew prayer did, but then he turns and makes it very personal in ways that the Hebrew prayer is not. Because Jesus is making prayer. Prayer is a personal dialogue we have with God Almighty. So in one column in my prayer list, I have people who need to know the Lord. People who need to find faith in their life. People who need to put their trust in Jesus. And I've got a list of people. And it's a list of people that I divide mine into categories. I've got a list of people that are close to me and special to me in terms of being uh, uh, some some extended family members that, that just are struggling. And then I've got people at work that I pray for. And because we've got multiple offices, I've kind of divided them up into the offices where they are. And then I've got people who are important in my life that are my friends that I pray for, for faith. And then I've got some people that, frankly, 
I don't know. But someone's come on their behalf. I've got a high school friend that I saw when I gave a lecture one time. And she came to me and she said, and, and, and she's a devoted woman of God, was in high school, is today. And she said to me, my daughter, who's in her young 20s, has just left her faith. Please pray for my daughter to find her faith. Well, that's easy. You know, Colleen. And her name goes on the list. And she goes down in these categories. And then I've got some that, frankly, I don't even, I, I, I confess to you, I'm not quite sure who they all are. And we had our, our firm, uh, firm, our class picnic. And someone came to me and said, my son-in-law, blank, needs to know the Lord. Would you be praying for him too? He's on the list. I don't know him. And frankly, I forgot who in this class asked me to pray for him. And he may be walking with the Lord today. Maybe it's time to move him off the list or move him over. But I keep praying for him. I keep praying for him. And then on the list, I've got for growth, you know, uh, uh, my wife, our kids, my mom, my sisters, my nieces, my nephews, my brother-in-laws. So many people in here. So many people in here are on that list. And so many that are not in here. They just, I'm just, God's put it on my heart to pray for them. Then there are people who need healing. There are people who are sick, who are hurting, who are fighting cancer, who are, who are trying to, to, to reach a, a place of health in their life that I pray for. And then there's miscellaneous. Miscellaneous is anything from people who need a job. And we've got a number of people, and that's important stuff. It's, it's missionaries. It's our church. It's our country. And if we don't write these things down, I suspect, at least if you're like me, we don't pray for them as much as we should. But if you write it down, you see it. Now, sometimes I'll use the Lord's Prayer in this whole list. So it's, our Father who art in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Oh, Lord, I want your name to be held holy and hallowed. I want it for all of these people in that growth column. Hallowed be your name. And I'll pray for them by by name. Lord, may so-and-so worship you and and love you and respect you and honor you and your name, what you've done. And then um, your kingdom come. Oh, I got that. That's right here. Lord, may your kingdom come in this person's life, in this person's life, in this person's life. Your will be done. Ooh, I got that here. I got that here. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Ooh, let me segregate out those job people. Forgive us of our debts and our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. Ooh, I know some people really struggling on that. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Ooh, that can be the whole thing. So you get to play around with it. Now, there's lots of other things. There are some psalms that are fantastic. And we'll close here because I'm running over time and I apologize. Psalms like, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. 
So if I'm praying in the morning, I want to declare the steadfast love of the Lord. It never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And so we use those psalms. Or the psalm, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Through Jesus may it be so. Because it won't be on my own. So with that, here are your points for home. Number one, remember. Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We are to be praying. It changes things. Let's proclaim it. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. It is good to sing praises to his name, to declare his steadfast love in the morning, his faithfulness at night. Let's proclaim the goodness of the Lord in prayer. And then do, let's continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Can I pray over you, please? Lord, I ask you to bless each person that's here or that's not here, but listening to this message. Father, may they hear your voice. May they pay attention. May they not harden their hearts, but may they in, in, in humble adoration bow before you. By the righteousness of Jesus Christ, Lord, hear our prayer. We are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. And we are honored to know you as God. Through the righteousness and holiness of Jesus, we pray. Amen.